If you're just joining us this morning, we have been exploring together over these past several weeks what it means to go on an intentional journey uh, towards Christ's likeness. And, and the reason why we, we speak of the journey, the spiritual journey, as an intentional one is because it is by no means a guarantee that someone will progress in the journey with Jesus. Uh, it is not necessarily the truth that we'll become more and more like Jesus simply by happenstance. In fact, it's a strong likelihood that we won't. It's not even a given that if we come to a building with a steeple on top of it, we will automatically become more Christ-like by doing so. A lot of people, as you may know and observe, simply grow over time into a slightly better or worse version of themselves uh, or of their parents uh, or of the peers that they spend their, their time with. Some people that we've encountered don't seem to grow much at all. Uh, amazingly, in spite of all kinds of exposure to uh, religious institutions or to what seems to be decent teaching, they just don't seem to develop much in the inner life, at least not in a way that is obvious to us. But if we're going to get to the end of our own lives, if we want to get to the end of our own journey on this earth and have people say of us, wow, what an amazing love. <laughs> I, 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 I met in him or, or in her. What an extraordinary character that person lived with. What, what a significant and enduring influence that person's life has had. If they're going to say that person lived something like Jesus, then it's going to take an intentional journey. It's going to take some intentionality in trying to progress on the journey with Jesus. In the ninth chapter of the Gospel according to Luke, we get a very helpful window, I think, into that pathway. And I want to invite you this morning to open up in Luke's Gospel as we prepare to read together responsibly the first 17 verses of this part of the story of the ministry of Jesus on the earth. And I'm going to read the odd verses because I'm the oddest one here. You're going to read the even ones. And uh, let's proclaim together in this way and hear for ourselves the word of the Lord. Luke chapter 9 at verse 1. When Jesus had called the twelve together... He gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. He told them, take nothing for the journey. In other words, he's saying to us here that the journey with me does not depend on the material thing. In fact, ironically, it's sometimes the very stripping away of those material things that will open us up to an experience of God's grace of a richer kind. So take nothing for the journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra tunic. And if people do not welcome you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave their town. Now, 
It's interesting to note, these sounds like harsh words, but so confident was Jesus of the powerful blessing his disciples would bring into any neighborhood they entered as they came with the news of the kingdom, as they came with healing influence, as they came with the the power to push back the forces of evil, so confident was Jesus of the blessing this would be, be that any community that couldn't see that when it was really in front of them would be one you might as well just leave behind as lost. And so Jesus says, shake the dust from your feet when you leave their town as a testimony, as a witness against that hard-heartedness. And you continue. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was going on. And he was perplexed. Because some were saying that John, the baptizer, had been raised from the dead. It's interesting to note that Herod, upon hearing of the ministry of the disciples, becomes interested in Jesus, the source of these disciples. But Herod said, I beheaded John. Who then is this that I hear such things about? And he tried to see him. He tried to see Jesus. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. And he welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Jesus replied, you give them something to eat. They answered, we've only five loaves of bread and two fish. Unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. The disciples did so. And everybody sat down. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls. Isn't that interesting? An overflowing quantity. One basket for each of the 12 who had done what Jesus said. An overflowing quantity. They picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. This is the word of the Lord Thanks be to God. I want to suggest to you this morning that at every 
every season of the spiritual journey, there is this danger that the stage we're in will become a cage that holds us in. Without ever meaning to, we can get stuck in our spiritual life. We can stop progressing. I think back to that time many years ago when I first entered into what we've been calling the discovering faith season of my own spiritual journey. As I shared a couple of weeks ago, some pain and loss that I had experienced during my high school years, and then the witness of such vitality that I saw in a particular group of Christ followers had opened up my perspective in a different way. I had begun to recognize the presence and reality of God in a way that I never had recognized it before. I found myself suddenly looking at life differently. I saw sunsets and fingerprints and little babies' faces and, and the pattern of life's events in different terms. And I began to recognize the presence of God and His providence at work in things. And I wanted to discover more and more of this God. I had this surge in my interest in spiritual things. It became a pleasure for me to actually attend the InterVarsity Christian Fellowship meetings that they had at my college. I would sit in one of the rows of chairs like they have here. I'd sit out there and I'd take notes. I'd want to listen to one of these speakers that came up there. And alongside of this large crowd of people, I would enjoy the teaching as they talked about God and Jesus and the Bible and things. It was sort of like going to church. But I was glad to be there because I wanted to know more of Jesus. I wanted to be like Him. If that was possible. I was about three quarters of the way through my freshman year when I noticed that something was not right. I, I, I found myself not wanting to go to the Christian fellowship meetings anymore. I, I felt guilty about it because as I would start to meet them, miss the meetings, people would see me, hey, you know, where, where are you? You know, sorry, we sort of missed you. And I'd feel awkward about that. But somehow just listening to some expert talking about the faith was not enough for me, to, not enough to keep me growing, to keep me engaged and going on the journey myself. I was back in my room getting hammered daily by these roommates of mine about my faith. I had arrived at, at Yale College and, and I had been given a Jewish and atheist computer science major and a disaffected Roman Catholic for, Rome, for roommates. And they went after my just discovering faith like coyotes on red meat. And I was just being torn apart by these guys. It seemed week in and week out. And they just, they made fun of, why would you do anything so stupid as spending your Friday nights listening to some religious lecture, they asked. And, and I just didn't know how to answer. I didn't know how to respond to the attacks that they were making on my faith, on Christianity in general. There frankly didn't seem to be a whole lot changing inside of me either at this point in my life. I mean, I, I, I wasn't really continuing to you know, develop in the character and the perspective of, of, of Christ at this time. And I found myself drawn into all the other kinds of things, the trials, the temptations that go on in, 
any college student's uh, career. Uh, I was stuck. Uh, The discovering faith stage had become a cage for me. And, And I didn't know how to get out of it. I had an interest in God and in Jesus, but there were just so many pieces missing from my understanding of where to go with my faith. And I want to suggest it can become like that for almost anybody. And in fact, at any age, I've met, I've met people who are well advanced in chronological years, but not very far along in spiritual years. Um, undeveloped in spiritual years. I mean, people who you know, have been to all kinds of church events and yet are gossiping, unforgiving, hard-edged, selfish, prideful people like I can be too often because they've gotten caged at the discovering stage. They are, as was said last week, admirers of Jesus, but not followers, not disciples in that imitating sense. I think I could have given up on Christianity at that point. I think I almost did actually settle into that just sort of going through the motions kind of faith that sort of masquerades as Christianity but isn't discipleship in the fullest sense. And it would have been that way, I think, had it not been for Mark Stevens. Mark was a a junior, I think, when I was a freshman. Yeah, he was. He was from New Mexico. He was a decathlete. He was a, a, a wonderful guy. And I don't know why it was that Mark took an interest in me, but somehow he could see that I was stuck. And so he came alongside of me, and he said to me, in effect, one day, Dan, I want to help you get to the next level in your relationship with Christ, in your walk with Christ. And I had absolutely no clue, really, what he was talking about. I wasn't sure what the next level even looked like, what the steps were that could take you to that place to make progress in the spiritual journey, but thankfully, Mark did. Mark knew the steps. And I'll always be thankful to God for him because he helped me move from that just discovering faith period into what we've called the nurturing faith season of my own spiritual journey. There came a time, you may remember, when Jesus called his disciples into that next stage. It would have been fine for them to simply come and see for a while, to hang around the edges of his ministry. But there came a time when Jesus called them further on the journey. He called them into the nurturing faith season of life. They had already caught sight of the amazing life that Jesus was living, but they didn't know how to actually live that life themselves. So as Greg Ogden suggested last week, Jesus started very intentionally building their capacity to live his kind of life. He trained them in some core disciplines. First thing he did, we we see him training them in how to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. Jesus said, okay, this is how you do it. He trained them by example and by deed in in how to uh, study the scriptures and unpack their meaning. He trained them in the importance of of rest. That was a major theme of his teaching. He must have known how easy it is for people just to get going so fast they don't know how to 
rest. And, and Jesus gave them these spiritual disciplines, I've got to conclude, because he understood how important it was for all of us, for any disciple, to have some kind of regimen, some kind of ritual, some kind of pattern of life that can enable us to stay connected to God day in and day out. When we're not with Jesus visibly, when we're not in a religious facility, we need these training disciplines to keep us connected to the life of God. Secondly, Jesus, we can see from reading the Gospels, equipped His disciples through sermons, through parables, through private discourses. He gave them a set of core beliefs about God, about the nature of the kingdom of God, about the way life is meant to be, about the nature of humanity. He gave them these core beliefs through his teaching ministry that gave his followers real truth with which to handle the trials and the temptations, the storms of life that would come their way. And Jesus also, interestingly enough, partnered them up right away. You notice that? He pulled them into a group of 12, and then he gathered an even smaller group of three. He partnered them up with smaller core groups of other disciples who could companion them and challenge them and encourage them as all of them together sought to grow further into Christ's likeness. I, I frankly did not have anything like this kind of a pretty coherent laid out way of describing or even understanding the spiritual foundations, the steps that I needed in my life back in my early 20s. But, but this is basically what Mark Stevens gave me. He trained me in spiritual disciplines, the, the first exposure I had to them. He taught me how to pray. He taught me how to actually find my way through the Bible. He taught me how to fast. Mark taught me how to memorize Scripture. And he awakened in me an interest in practicing spiritual disciplines that have been a mainstay of my own journey with Christ all of these years. Mark also equipped me with core beliefs. He helped me develop an understanding of the sort of essential doctrines and, and ways of thinking in the Christian life. He, he walked with me through a book on basic Christianity, a book written by John Stott uh, on the subject. And, and, it, and it grounded me and gave me sort of theological and biblical lenses for life that sort of have been with me ever since. Mark invited me into a small group uh, right at the beginning with a group of other Christ followers. And that experience of, of fellowship and, and, and the way we impacted and God used us to shape each other was so important that I have been part of a small group I think just about every week of my life over the past 30 years. That's what got sewn into me in the nurturing stage of faith. And, and how important that has been to me all the way since. Because it goes with me all the way on the journey. How about you? Where are you on the spiritual journey? How do you nurture your relationship with Christ? Who of you needs to take some of these steps now? 
because you'll find some practical help with that in our journey guide on page 12 of that journey guide or the material you can find online at our website. But the point is that if you want to move, and maybe haven't yet, but if you want to move from being an admirer of Jesus to being a genuine, growing follower of Jesus, It takes intentional steps like these, and many of you who have been journeying with Jesus for a long time could preach this message better than me. You know how important it is. You know. It wasn't until I finished college that I I, I realized that that, that there was another season beyond the ones that I'd experienced. I mean, it took me years, I think, to even catch a significant glimpse of this. I'm embarrassed to say that I went for a lot of years thinking that being a Christian was fundamentally about discovering faith and, you know, learning to worship God. And then it was, secondly, about nurturing faith, developing certain disciplines and beliefs and partnerships that would help me grow. And I thought that was pretty much it. That was the Christian life. You know, doing the worship thing and doing the study thing. And and, and I was stuck there. I was stuck at that point. Because it took me a long time to see that all of this discovering and nurturing has a purpose to it. It is intended to move us outward towards others in a different kind of way. To put it in a familiar nutshell, the Christian life wasn't just about worship and growth. It was also about service. Jesus wanted me to take what I had been learning and translate it into action. Out in all of the circles of my life. Somehow I had gotten caged in the nurturing stage of faith. I was this blue ribbon worship and Bible study attendee. But it wasn't not translating into a life of active service. And I began to feel like, gradually, I began to feel like, a stirring in my heart, that maybe after all that God had done for me and all that others had poured into me, I ought to be giving back. You know that feeling? I mean, I began to feel this insistent sense, I've got to do something with my faith for God and for others. And I started getting excited about discovering what my gifts were that I could offer to others so I could make some kind of a difference in this world for the kingdom of God. And it was this impulse, as some of you know, that led me to decide to sort of put aside the whole grad school plan for a while and go off and do a year of volunteer service, which became two years of volunteer service in the inner city of Belfast, Northern Ireland. And I'll tell you, it was there that I met an even more mature group of Christians that I'd known in college. And they were of every different stripe. There was old Robert Caldwell, a physician in his near 80s, who was one of the most luminous disciples I've ever met. Oh, I have story after story I could tell about him. There was young Jim, this young guy on fire for Christ, but mature beyond his years. And what was so amazing about this particular group of Christians that I got embedded in there was how much they wanted to be a blessing to to the part of the city that they were living in. And they were living in in a northwest Belfast, a terribly uh, under-resourced area. 
40% or more unemployment. Terrible sectarian violence. Armed soldiers and, and, and tanks and armored vehicles moving through the streets every single day. People fleeing this area. But these Christians stayed behind to invest themselves in the needs of their community. They began a youth ministry to street kids. They started up a senior citizens ministry that got Protestant and Catholic uh, retired people coming together and talking in a way like it was not happening anyplace else in that city. They founded a job center. They went out on evangelistic campaigns into the neighborhoods. They began sort of a community outreach program that started in this little coffee house and now has taken over the entire church complex with so many ministries of active service that it's transformed that entire sector of Belfast. These people showed me what it looked like to fulfill Jesus' directive. That His followers be like salt that gets scattered throughout the earth to preserve the planet against further decay. The directive of Jesus that His disciples be like light that pushes back the darkness. Wherever they go, they picture the acting faith stage of the spiritual journey for me. And it was so attractive. It made so much sense that it pulled me into that stage of faith myself. How about you? How is your faith active? How is it changing you? And how are you changing the world? How are you changing the circumstances of your family? How are you changing the circumstances of your community? Where is it showing in action? Jesus once said that just as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give His life for many, The mark of maturing discipleship, Jesus suggests, is not how many worship services you attend or how many Bible studies you've done. As important as those things are, getting you ready for the next stage, it's really what you do with what you know that counts most. Jesus said it. There are many who will say, Lord, 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 who will not enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do what my Father calls them to do, said Jesus. In the lesson from Luke's Gospel that we read earlier together, we see Jesus sending His disciples out to do just this. You need to understand that up to this particular point, the disciples have just basically been watching Jesus do it. They've just been spectators. They've been traveling with Him. There is entourage. There is groupies. He's doing the performing. And they see Him, you know, pushing back evil, and they see Him healing the hurting, they hear Him proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God and picturing for people what it looks like to to live a life where the Heavenly Father's light is shining through them. They've watched this. But now Jesus comes to them and says, Your turn. It's your turn. And Luke 9 and 1 reads, When Jesus had called the twelve together, He gave them power and authority 
to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And those first disciples obeyed Christ's commission. And they went out. And they got active. And they served. And they were amazed at how the power of God moved through them. Sometimes I think that we do too much sitting and spectating. Is there anybody willing to say an amen to that? I mean, sometimes we do. And, and I think sometimes it's because we do not grasp what power and authority Christ has given to His disciples today. And maybe this little acrostic I provided here will help us to think about the nature of that power and that authority. You know, God has given to each of us grace gifts, the Bible teaches. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is just one of the parts of the Bible that lists these supernatural endowments that God promises He gives to His followers. We don't get all of them. We get some of them. And you have them. If we were to go around and study and interview closely, we'd find that one of you's got the gift of mercy. One of you's got the gift of leadership. One of you's got the gift of teaching. Somebody else has the gift of prayer. Somebody else has got the gift of evangelism. There's a long list of supernatural endowments that God supplies. Why? For our own edification? For our own sense of pride? Why? No. So we might use these things to extend His kingdom into the world. Alongside of those grace gifts, God's given you particular insights and inspirations. I mean, you just, the, uh, the light bulb goes on. You see a need. You see how it ought to be addressed. He's giving you that insight for a purpose. So that you'll get active with the insight. So you'll share that wisdom and that pathway that you see that others can't see. God's promised or provided you with this unique form, too. You've got a personality. You've got a temperament. You have the fruit of His Spirit in various measure. And He's endowed you with this package to be a blessing to others. Even if you're economically hard-pressed right now. Raise your hand if you're feeling a little economically hard-pressed. Raise two if you're feeling very hard-pressed. Even if that's so, you possess financial and physical and material treasure like few people on the planet. And He has not stopped asking us to use that treasure that He's entrusted to us to serve His cause in the lives of others. God has given you skills that I don't have, that the other pastors don't have that are just desperately needed around the church, around your family, around your community, around some other workplace. And God cannot meet the needs that need to be met there until you recognize that He's put you there to meet the needs. It's hard to see. It's hard to see this, I grant you. I think the reason why acting faith takes so long to live into fully 
to establish itself in our lives is because we're just so conscious of what we don't have. Of what we apparently can't do. We see all these people who think seem to have abilities we don't have. And so we, that's where our focus is. We keep waiting for that day. At least I know I've been there myself when we think to myself, I'm, one of these days I'm going to be ready. One of these days I'm going to be ready to really do something significant. One of these days. I'll have a more active faith. And it was just like this for the first disciples. In Luke 9 and verse 12, we read, Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, Jesus, send the crowd away so that they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging. Because we're in a remote place here. Translation, we don't have the capacity to feed these people. We've got only five loaves of bread and two fish, and there are about 5,000 people here, Jesus. How often are we like this? How often does the I have only mentality cage you or me? I have only. I have only. The need's so big. I have only. Yes, you have. Enough, says Jesus. Jesus replies, I have given you power and authority to act in my name. You give them something to eat. Just go ahead with what you have. And the Scripture records that the disciples did so, quote-unquote. They obeyed. They did so, as Jesus asked. And all ate. All 5,000 ate. And were satisfied. What if we did so? What if we did what Jesus asked? On the stained glass window at the front of our sanctuary are emblazoned many of the simple, direct commandments of Jesus. Jesus says, love. Jesus says, forgive. Jesus says, pray. Jesus says, confess. Honor. Comfort. Trust. Obey. Give. What if you pick just one? What if each one of us picked just one of those words? What if we picked just one of those words and said to God, Lord, I'm going to act on that command. I'm not going to just contemplate it. I'm not just going to talk about it. I'm not just going to study it. I'm not just going to wait for others to get going on it. I'm going to do it. Myself. Today. What if each and all of us did? You think it's possible that God might add to that obedience the power of heaven to multiply the impact of that choice? He's done it before. And He will do it again and again. 
I love the way Soren Kierkegaard, the great Danish philosopher and theologian, puts it. And with this, I'll close. The highest of all is not to understand the highest. The highest of all is not to simply understand the highest, but to act upon it. For we are God's workmanship, declares St. Paul. We have been created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared, gifted us in advance to do. For the kingdom of God, Paul goes on and says, the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. So where does your faith and my faith need to progress from the stage of contemplation and conversation more into that stage of action and outflowing power. Let's pray together. Our Lord and our God, we pray that You might give us clarity about one thing, one commandment. You would have us leave from this place and truly act upon. That we might know the glory of seeing Your power flow of seeing others blessed and of seeing You given the glory and praise do Your name. Through Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.